Hello everyone, and welcome back to Dissecting with Ugarth. It is I, Ugarth, the Dissector. First, we will begin with questions from one Fuzzy Dotson. Are there any career goals for Ugarth? Other than the entire, complete, and full domination of the NSFL? No, not particularly. He asks also, are you into Warhammer? Ugarth, the Dissector, is more of a war axe type of man, but in a pinch, a Warhammer will get the job done. Next question from Slothface Killer How long can you do the Ugarth voice without breaking character? Approximately this long. <laughs> It's fun to do. Uh, maybe one day in the near future, I will do a full Ugarth cast. Uh, but it's kind of strenuous, you might imagine. Uh, what's up, everybody? I'm Frith. Um, to go back and answer that previous question from Fuzzy a little bit. Uh, yeah, I am into Warhammer. I am probably a little bit more into Warhammer 40k than the Warhammer Fantasy. Um, that's just a product of me kind of being kind of like brought up more on Warhammer 40k, if that makes sense. Um, there was a used bookstore pretty close to my house, and they had a really big fantasy and sci-fi section. And um, they had some Imperial Guard novels. Um, I can't really think of any. Like Valhalla um, was one of them. 15 Hours, that kind of stuff. Um, so I like cut my teeth you could say on Warhammer 40k and then just never really went back to the fantasy um yeah I, I do like Warhammer I like Warhammer stuff quite a bit actually I have um you know into the miniature painting thing um one of the first minis I ever painted uh was a Stormcast Eternal so yeah I mean I, I like Warhammer well enough um I just never really got into it myself. It seems pretty uh, expensive, to say the least. Um, so that was going back to Fuzzy's question. Now back to Slothy. Um, how would you rank the NSFL against the SHL? Um, I kind of talked about some of the differences on the previous podcast, but I guess I didn't really rank them. Um, I would say the SHL is still the number one sim league for me, um, but that's only because I've been doing it for so long and I'm so involved with the community and stuff. Um, I really like the NSFL though. Like if if the SHL is number one, it's like one A, and the NSFL is like one B. Um, all the guys here that I've talked to anyway. Um, even more so than a lot of the people in the SHL. All the guys here just seem so chill. I don't know if that's just a product of good, uh, responsible drafting by um, Tijuana and um, Nola or what, but I, I've, I haven't really disagreed with anyone here yet. Um, that's pretty cool. Not that I get into disagreements on the SHL all the time. Uh, but there have been a few. Um, 
Yeah, overall, I'd, I'd say, um, like the the two leagues are different enough that uh, I don't tire out from one because of the other, if that makes sense. So yeah, I've really been enjoying doing the dual league thing, and I see why a lot of guys like to do it with um, the SHL, PBE, the NSFL, all that stuff. Makes sense. Um, if Ugarth owned uh, a, if Ugarth owned an NSFL team, where would they play, and what would be the branding? Um, well, we'd have to play in Feyrun, definitely. We would have to be the first interdimensional team. Um, you got like the Water Deep. Uh, you got like the Water Deep. Um, yeah, the Water Deep Dragon Wards. That'd be a good team. Um, uh, the Baldur's Gate Hyenas, that'd be a good team. Uh, the Neverwinter Knights, but with a K, get it? <laughs> because of the name of the fucking game. Uh, that's a shitty, that's a shitty joke. Um, uh, if you wanted to go real exotic, you could be like, uh, um, Isle of Dread Buccaneers, even though we already have a Buccaneers, uh, I don't know. Ugarth's from the Sword Mountains, so I'm trying to think of anything up there that has a good, recognizable branding opportunity, and there really isn't. Um, Neverwinter Nights would probably be the closest, and I think that's actually probably just because of the play on words. That's probably my favorite, uh, <laughs> the favorite one I just came up. Uh, fuck. Yeah, uh, I'm a big Sword Coast guy. Um, all of the D&D stuff that I've done uh, from um, modules, you know, not from homebrew or, you know, uh, home-written campaigns has been from, has been along the Sword Coast. So it's got like a, it's got a pretty good, pretty big place in my heart for sure. Let's see, who else? Uh, what does Ugarth do outside of his football activities? You know, I I don't really... I kind of choose not to think about what Ugarth does, honestly. Um, probably some stupid orc shit, you know? He's probably frequently in trouble. It's probably a good thing that he plays and practices down in Tijuana, where I've been told there are no laws. So... Uh, he can get away with some of his tomfoolery. Um, in the contract he signed with Nola, uh, I made it so that they have to put a horse stable, a stable for Ugas horse at their training facility. So, you know, I assume he takes care of his horse, probably does a few hit and runs, uh, probably still doesn't have any concept of currency at this point. So, lots of theft, that kind of fun stuff. Um, definitely works out. I mean, the guy's buff as hell. It definitely works out. Uh, oh, by the way, the person asking that question was Flesh Bag Soup. Fleshy. Um, up next we have Sidious. Uh, Jim Waters. Hey, I know that guy. Um, any thoughts on expansion since that's a popular topic now? Um, I really don't know. It seems like there was a giant, like a giant class um into the dsfl 
this year. I know that mm, two seasons ago, was it? I think for season 50, we did a big, um, we did a big push for the SHL, a uh, big recruitment push. And we got a gigantic draft class into the uh, SMJHL, our junior league. Um, and uh, uh, we were hopeful that, you know, even if half, 75% of these guys stick around, you know, it's going to be great. We're going to have a nice big league. But um, I don't know what our player retention was like out of that league. And I do know that bringing all of those new people in at once, um, we probably had a lower player retention by percentage than a normal uh, draft. However, because it was such a large draft, we probably ended up retaining more players. Um, one of the issues was like, for the sim that we used, there were suboptimal builds. Um, I, I don't just mean like, compared to the game-breaking builds that were eventually found, but, like, um, you had the option to create an enforcer, which, for anyone listening who doesn't pay attention to hockey, an enforcer's a guy who just goes out there to fight, you know? And, like, that was a viable option. You could build that type of character in the Simon T hockey simulator that we used, but they were, they were, like, a net negative on your team. So, like, a lot of people that come into the league... They see that big enforcer checkbox and they're like, I could do an enforcer. There's no enforcers in this league. I could be the only enforcer and I could get like a million fights. And, you know, that'd be cool. Um, but there's no enforcers because it just doesn't it just doesn't work the way you would think it does. The summon T does not. You don't get any benefit from it, you know, so you just basically have dead weight on your team. So like a, a big scandal from that expansion thing was... Um, I think two players were drafted. I'm sorry, went undrafted in this giant in this giant draft um, because they had the enforcer builds, and um, it was kind of a big thing that like people were saying that the J teams should have contacted these guys and said like, "Hey, change your build," you know, like you're you're not going to get drafted with this. Then um, there was a big debate about like whether or not that's even our responsibility or or what. Um, but anyway, this is this is this is getting kind of off track. Um, what what I mean to say was we had this giant class with probably below average retention, if I'm being honest. Um, so there was discussion at the time about expansion, like there seems to be now in the NSFL because of this giant DSFL class. Um, so. I mean, I know how much of a strain it would be, but I, I think I think my advice, just based on my experience with sim leagues in the past, would be to wait and see. Wait and see how the player retention is for this class, and if towards the end of this season in the DSFL it's looking like pretty good retention, maybe you add one more team per um, per league, uh, per division, you know. Mm, not the most concise answer ever, but uh, <laughs> we we eventually got there. Um, overall, I don't dislike the thought of expansion, though. Um, expansion one day is going to be necessary. This this league is growing, and it seems to be growing very quickly, which is exciting for a guy like me who got in relatively early. 
so I hope I don't know. I just I just hope I, I hope head office makes a responsible choice. And there's probably some people listening right now chuckling at that because like if the head office down here is anything like the head office in the SHL, responsible choices, timely choices aren't exactly their thing. Um, but I'm I'm sure they've thought of plans for an expansion or plans if you're not going to do an expansion, how to handle the large class. So we'll see. Um, Sidious uh, Jimmy Waters has a couple other uh, questions. Uh, do you think I will or should get GM? Um, let's see. When did you join the league? For November 19. So four months ago. I've actually been in the league longer than you, man. <laughs> um, maybe for a DSFL team. You know what I mean? Uh, a development team. Um, I, jeez, man. This, this podcast, I might as well just rename it to, like, SHL. I don't know. But something about comparing the SHL. Um, in the SHL, the... Development league, we have the J. Um, the GMs for that league tend to eventually matriculate up into the majors, just like players do. Um, and GMing a J team is kind of considered as like a learning experience uh, for big league GMing, even though it's more or less the same job, really. And in fact, I'd say uh, GMing the J teams has its own set of... Um, really complex issues because you're changing players every other year, every other season, really. Um, and you're more focused on development and stuff like that. So, um, but it's, it takes a different, different kind of person. And I think if you can prove yourself down in the development league as a reliable GM and everything, you can eventually move up. I think for a GM, um, especially in the development league, Activity is a huge must. Like, you have to really put in the time and the effort. Um, I know the J team that I played on, um, we had... Uh, the the GM there is one of my favorite people in the league because he was so active. And when he recruited me, like, when I... Because I, I signed on as a uh, free agent. I, I missed the draft. Um... So I had a few teams kind of courting me, and um, I decided to go with Anchorage uh, because the GM there was very honest with me and very realistic about his expectations for me, my growth, my players' growth. Um, and he, you know, a lot of a lot of the teams were like, "Yeah, you're gonna get twelve, you're gonna get twelve minutes a game, blah blah blah, and, um, ass clap," as we call him. Um, he said. It's just, just his approach was much more realistic. He goes, you know, this is kind of where you're at now, and we can develop you into this, and this kind of player is needed in the league and stuff like that. And he really took the time. And everything I've heard from people who were drafted by the team and other free agents who have signed with the team um, in that same year as me and since, I've said pretty much the same thing about Ass, is he's very realistic and, you know, he's not a bullshit kind of guy. And... Um, Stuff like that goes a long way towards making players want to stick around, you know. Uh, we have a great activity level and a great retention level in Anchorage. And I think it's in large part because the GM is so involved. Um, so I, I think if you can be that kind of guy, I think you should definitely get considered for GM somewhere. Or co-GM or something like that, you know. Um, but... 
yeah man <laughs> i guess i guess that's kind of all i have to say about that one um this next one's probably going to be a little more controversial do you like me or sloth better at qb i think i think you have slightly higher tpe is that right like by a few points but slothy is kind of the more experienced sim league guy oh it's a tough one man uh, i just don't know um I think, I think, I think we'll go with uh, Slothy at this point at QB. He's the slow kind of pocket passer kind of guy. I don't really know what Jimmy Waters likes to do. Um, another fun thing is uh, Slothy and I, we, we play on the same team in the SHL too. So that's pretty neat. Um, but let Slothy take the reins this first season, and then he will hand them over to you when you are good and ready. Sound fair? <laughs> Um, what record are you predicting for Tijuana? Undefeated. Uh, Ugarth is such a fucking machine this year. He had like 14 tackles in one of the preseason games. Uh, we're going, we're going all the way. We're winning it all. I, I don't know. I don't know how else to say it. Get ready, rest of the league, uh, because Tijuana ain't stopping. And that is in no way a cover for me not knowing how many regular season games there are. Uh, let's find out real quick. Uh, we have a bye week, the last week of the season. Oh, we're going 14-0, baby. Then we're taking that bye week and we're running the muck through the playoffs. There you go. You heard it here first, folks. Uh, Al Gringo, George Corpse Grinder Fisher, who should be an orc if he isn't. Um, he asked me, who is your favorite band? That's a tough one for me to answer. Um, I've got a really eclectic musical taste. Um, so I kind of have like favorite bands in each genre. Um, for punk, I really like a band called Zigzags. Um, they play like a punk metal sound. Everything's kind of tuned a little lower and it's not, um, I guess it's most comparable probably to thrash metal with punk vocals, the team shout vocals. Um, they also write a lot of songs about stupid shit, um, which is great. That's very punk, you know? Uh, a lot of their songs are like inspired by John Carpenter movies and stuff like that. So, yeah, I really dig. I really dig Zigzags. Um, I'm also really into surf rock, and for surf rock, I'd probably have to say um, uh, Guantanamo Baywatch or Tijuana Panthers. Um, I think the intro to the first dissecting with Ugarth I did was. The Tijuana Panther song, uh, Creature. Um, for, like, just rock, um, there's a band called July Talk that I really like. July Talk is a band that was formed by a bunch of, like, music insiders, session musicians, and stuff like that, as a lot of bands are. Um, but one of the cool things about them is they, all of their songs are duet vocals. They're guitarist, sings, and they have a dedicated singer um uh, a woman and a lot of their songs deal with like um kind of like non-traditional rock themes uh which is pretty cool um doesn't really make any sense either i mean what's a traditional rock theme but um july talk's really really cool um Jeez, oh, indie rock style. I'd have to go with Franz Ferdinand. Um, Post punk. Uh, I just love that. Uh, I just love that 
early Franz Ferdinand kind of grime. Um, their album Tonight is one of the three albums I have hanging up on my wall. It's my favorite album of all time. It was the album that introduced me to the idea of a concept album. Um, so it's always going to have a special place in my heart. And that kind of dance meets punk meets pop kind of sound is very interesting to me. Um, if you haven't picked it up yet, I really like high tempo stuff. Uh, uh, also, shout out to a band called Fort Lane. I don't know if they're even still together at this point, but they're a great band. Um, I should make all of my intro songs Fort Lane songs just to give these guys, you know, um, any amount of promotion. Years ago, I was stumbling down a YouTube rabbit hole, as you often do, and it was about 2.30 in the morning. And um, I saw, I was listening to music videos, stuff like that. And I saw one for a band called Fort Lean. And the name of the song was Beach Holiday. I live near the beach and I hate the beach like everyone who lives near the beach. So I um, I clicked on that song thinking like, oh, whatever, I'll just give it a quick listen. And it only had like 1,200 views at the time. So I thought, oh, this is just some indie band. And that like opening riff was so... Oh, oh, actually, hold on one sec. Alright, sorry if that came through a little quiet. Um, but yeah, like that, that like intro just instantly hit and kind of connected with me. And I ended up going through a binge and listening to like all of the you know, five or six um, songs that they had on their YouTube channel. And I immediately went to like the band camp and bought all their stuff and um, I just really love that band, you know, um, the song beach holiday, it's kind of like somber and sad and it just immediately relates to me as a guy who like grew up near the beach, like, um, for everyone else, it's kind of special and romanticized and it's a getaway. Right. But for me, the fucking beach is the fucking beach. Like I couldn't care less about it. And it's just kind of like in a weird way for me anyway kind of symbolic of other things in my life where everyone seems to be getting worked up about stuff and i i couldn't care less you know and um, it just really resonated with me obviously here i am almost 10 years later talking about it um but yeah that that song in, in like a only minimally ironic way really changed my life um uh i was listening to that band um, like me talking about that band, me introducing a woman to that band. Um, she and I ended up like dating for a few years, you know, um, we went to see that band live together and stuff like that. So, um, just in a weird way, like they, they really helped kind of shape who I am now. <laughs> and, um, 
it would be like straight remiss of me not to bring them up in this little segment. Um, what is my also this is still from George Fisher, Corpse Grinder. Uh, what is your favorite part of, about being in the sim league? Just kind of controlling your own path, you know, just kind of doing your own thing. Um, also, hanging out with the boys is pretty nice too. Uh, who is your favorite NFL slash NCAA team? Um, NCAA team? I really don't have an answer for you there. I don't watch a lot of college football, which is kind of sacrilege, I know. Um, I do like... Oh, excuse me. Um, I do like watching the Gators and the Seminoles play, though, uh, because, you know, those are both two big teams from around where I grew up. And... Um, Watching them play is always kind of a heated game, um, and the crowd gets really passionate about it. I don't think they play that often, though. Maybe once a season. Um, USF is the college that I went to, so ostensibly they'd be my favorite NCAA team, I guess. Um, NFL team? Um, oh, duh. I'm sorry. Jesus Christ. The Buccaneers. <laughs> Um, I don't know why I didn't think about that for so long. I was like, what is my favorite NFL team? Do I even watch the NFL? What is the NFL? Yeah, no. Um, the Buccaneers, of course. Uh, they're, they're the home team. They're my favorite team. I mean, like on my desk right now, I got my Buccaneers lanyard that I wear to my name badge at work. And um, yeah, I love the Bucks, man. We're getting new uniforms this season. It's going to be hype. Now, there's a lot of talk that we're going to be getting Tom Brady. I don't think we will. I hope that we won't. Um, now, here's the thing. Everyone says, Tom Brady, everyone, all of his detractors anyway, say, Tom Brady's a system quarterback. Yeah, that's true. I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing, but I think Tom Brady outside of Bill Belichick's system is going to be a big question mark. Uh, look at the last couple of seasons where he's had fewer offensive threats and everything. He's still great, but, you know, the wheels are coming off, it seems like. And I think bringing him to Tampa with um, uh, with BA's kind of, um, you know, <laughs> airmail system, I don't know that Tom Brady would work in that system. Be happy to be proven wrong, I guess. Um, I made some pretty big claims on the Buccaneers subreddit last night that I would not, I would never cheer for a team, I would never root for a team that has Tom Brady on it, and I kind of stand by that. I, I really dislike the guy, um, but I don't know. Uh, I, I don't I don't think we're going to get Brady. Um, let's see. If you could be any animal in the world, what would you be and why? Jeez, man. Got all the heavy-hitting questions. Um, any animal in the world, what would you be and why? I think any animal is inherently a downgrade from a human, um, which is not a fun answer to that question. Uh, I'd be a shark because I really like to swim. Sharks are pretty fucking cool. I, I read an article, I read an excerpt from an article today anyway on Reddit that apparently killer whales uh, predate on great white sharks, which seems kind of fucked up. So maybe it won't be a great white. Maybe it'll be like a Mako or something. Some, Or maybe a hammerhead. Hammerhead sharks are fucking cool. 
Yeah, I'd be a hammerhead shark. Um, why would I be a hammerhead shark? Well, I like to swim. I like to eat fish. Um, living in Tampa Bay sounds pretty cool. And I know there's some hammerheads out that way. That's about it. <laughs> Swimming in the open ocean and diving, it's kind of like flying in a weird sort of way. Uh, you can have an unlimited supply of one thing for the rest of your life. What is it? Can we go kind of esoteric here and say like love and affection? That'd be pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> um, hmm. Money is—is is money one thing? I can have an unlimited supply of U.S. one hundred dollar bills because that seems like a cheat. Um, to answer in the spirit of the question, oh, yikes! Um, an unlimited supply of one thing for the rest of your life. I'm immediately thinking toilet paper would be nice. I'm thinking about a roll that never ends. That's not really an unlimited supply, it's just infinite toilet paper. Um, hmm. I'm really struggling with this one, man. You really fucking got me here. Um, Trying to think of like the most expensive thing in my home that I replace frequently enough to warrant an unlimited supply. And honestly, I think it's gotta be toilet paper. I would get myself some real fancy unlimited toilet paper. Or maybe just a bidet. That seems so much easier. Fuck. I, I, dog food. Oh, I got it. Uh, ammo. I would get an unlimited supply of ammo. Oh my God. Oh my god, I'd save hundreds of dollars every trip to the range. That'd be so fucking great. Um, god, but then I have to pick a caliber. 556. Five, <laughs> so I can just put as many rounds to the AR as I want. There you go. Final answer. <laughs> uh, what's your best scar story? Ooh, I got a few of them. Um,. My best scar story. When I was in Boy Scouts, we were learning uh, whittling for the whittling, the woodcutting merit badge. And um, we had standard issue Boy Scout pocket knives that we had to go to the Boy Scout like store. It was near City Hall for some reason. It's like this little store that the Boy Scouts had set up uh, at the Boy Scout like hall or whatever. I don't know what it was called, but it was where we did like all of our award ceremonies and stuff. There's a little shop off to the side that sold uniforms, patches, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but they had standard issue Boy Scout pocket knives that we had to get. And um, our Scoutmaster, for whatever reason, the day when we were under supervision for the whittling merit badge, did not have any wood. And rather than like encourage us to go outside and find a switch with which we could whittle, he was like, well, here's some bars of soap. So he gave us bars of dial soap and had us whittle those. And um, here's the thing, 
you might not know about soap. Uh, at first, when you begin cutting soap, there's a lot of resistance. Um, the friction eventually causes the um, of kind of like sawing back and forth, which you shouldn't do when you're whittling, by the way. Um, the friction of like running the blade back and forth between the soap eventually heats it up and then it slices through that soap like a hot knife through butter and into uh, cutting off the tip of my right pointer finger. So um, I remember my mom was there. She was one of our den leaders. And um, I cut through the bar of soap like on a corner or something and I had my right pointer finger underneath it um, supporting the bar of soap and I slice fucking right through it and the blade just keeps going and it goes right through my finger cuts off the tip of my finger um, about I'm looking at the scar now at the time it was lower of course because I was smaller but it's about a quarter inch Maybe a little more than a quarter inch, three eighths uh, or so. Yeah, about a quarter inch off the top of my finger. And I look at my mom, and I hold up my, <laughs> I hold up my decapitated finger, and I say, I say, I'm sorry, as I'm gushing blood, and she panicked, and our scoutmaster panicked. And, um, I got taken to the hospital and got the tip of my finger sewn back on, which is pretty cool. Um, for years, and actually still kind of to this day, the nail that got kind of lopped off, um, grows in kind of funny. It's a little crooked and there's a very visible scar. Um, I have no like sensation in the tip of my finger. Um, but I can feel pressure if that makes sense. So like, like right now what I'm doing is I'm rubbing my thumb on each hand over the tip of each pointer finger. And on my left pointer finger, I can, I can feel it. It kind of tickles a little bit on my right one. I feel nothing. I just feel the pressure that my thumb is there. Um, so that's pretty cool, I guess. Um, working in the kitchen, I'm always really careful now. So I learned my lesson. That's the important part. Um, that's my favorite one though, because it's just gross negligence from everyone involved. <laughs> um, ooh, okay. So on to uh, Julio T. Turto Wijaja. Uh, he's from... Indonesia? What? <laughs> Indonesian Husker? Okay. Julio Toriwayaya. Um, what would you cook the luchadors for a team meal? Ah, uh, probably a big lasagna. Um, probably get my mommy's recipe for the lasagna. Or, if it's breakfast time, or even brunch, could always do an omelet bar. Um... God, I love making eggs. I love, I have a love-hate relationship with making eggs. Um, 
I did a whole media article a while back on the SHL about um, different team foods that I would like to make everybody. Um, so I, I don't know. Team team meal. We got to have a big main course, which would probably be the lasagna. You got to have a few side dishes. So I do some garlic knots, uh, homemade. Um, maybe a little antipasta salad. Um, maybe like a tossed salad as well. It seems to go well with lasagna uh, to the side. Uh, but I think that's I think that'd really be about it. Just like a nice big, big spread. Uh, what is your favorite story during your time as an athlete? Ooh, that was a little more complex. Um, there's a few that I normally tell. I don't know that they're necessarily my favorite stories, but they're my they're my best stories. So when I was in high school, uh, as a cross country runner, um, I we had this like dumb this stupid tradition on the team. Um, we're like, when well, we knew yearbook was coming over to take photos at one of our meets, um, we would kind of untuck ourselves and our shorts, if you know what I mean, in such a way that we would be exposed on one side. Uh, because the shorts we ran in, they were like five inch long shorts and they had a three inch seam on the outer thigh. So that when you ran, it just kind of flapped open and exposed and normally you'd be fine because there was like an opaque mesh netting like in most uh swim trunks uh but we would kind of untuck that and um the whole the whole objective was just to flash your book um never really anything more complex than that so like your book knew we did it and they hated it and they would be like can you guys just can you guys just not just one time can you just make our fucking lives easy um, but no, the answer was no. We were a bunch of teenage boys and we wanted to, I guess, disrupt your book. I, I don't really know what the joke was. It was kind of more of like a joke on us. Um, but, you know, uh, because of that, there were like never any action shots of us running in your book. It was always just like team photos of us in the auditorium. <laughs> um, but... One time, a guy named Devin on the team uh, managed to get a picture of his massive fucking hog up on the school website for like three days um, because it was like someone other than your book, I guess, who took the photo and then like submitted it to the school or something. I don't really know the story behind how it happened. Um, <laughs> I just know that like somebody told Devin, oh, hey, we got a picture of you on the school website. And he's like, oh, cool. So we all pulled it up. And <laughs> sure enough, you know, there he is fucking fully exposed, full glory. And we were like, oh, shit. Like, this is great, but we kind of have like a... <laughs> we should probably let someone know to take this down. <laughs> And, um, after that coach was like, you guys got to stop doing this shit. <laughs> um, fuck, what else? Um, I, I told a really long winded story. Uh, I don't know if I ever told it on a podcast, but, um, uh, one time my cross country team, um, 
was actually my it was actually during track season so it was the four by 800 relay team that i led um it was our last race of the season we were racing in lemon bay florida against at the time no i'm sorry it was port charlotte florida it's it was uh the meet before state meet so it was regionals and we were racing against the um port charlotte was at the time the number one ranked team in the country and let me tell you being an above average runner my entire career and running with a bunch of guys who were above average um those port charlotte guys were fucking freaks of nature they dominated us in like the same way that we had been dominating other teams all season they dominated us it was insane um i think the slowest guy on their four by eight team ran like a 158 800 one minute 58 seconds for a half mile i mean that's fucking insane that was like my that was that was like my pr my personal record so um a little bit a little bit off of it but knowing that their slowest dude was running as more or less as fast as me it yeah it was insane it was insane um but after that that was my last race of the year uh because i did not qualify for the solo 800 um in districts i don't remember why um districts that year i was normally about a two minute runner my average was probably about um like right on two minutes you know uh, my PR was like 156, a uh, minute 56. Um, at districts that year, I ran a 212. It was the slowest race. I It was the slowest 800 anyway that I had ever run. And I, I ran it the one time it mattered. Uh, and it's weird because I wasn't normally a choke artist kind of guy. I would actually usually overperform at big meets. But just that, uh, that race, just it started and finished slow. And I was the type of runner that um, <clears throat> I was the type of runner that didn't like to go out and lead and set the pace. I just liked to sit on the first guy's shoulder and kick in. And I think I think they knew that at districts um, because I was kind of probably the man to beat. Um, I think they knew. The way I like to race and went out slow intentionally so they could save energy. Um, because what I would rely on is in the last, uh, if you divide the race into four sections, so four 200 meter sections, for the first half of the race, the first two 200 meters, the first 400 meters, I'm trying to think of one more way to say it, the first half, six, um, I just sit on the first guy's shoulder in the third quarter, so the third 200 meters, I push. I start picking up the pace and pushing and running it down. And then the last 200 meters, I kick. Kicking in racing is when you basically dump the rest of your tanks, you burn the rest of your fuel, you you just drop everything, you know, pedal to the metal, and you charge for the line. Um, and I had a faster kick than fucking anybody, um, you know, sprinter level speeds. And, um, 
I would just rely on my kick. I would just abuse it, you know, so the race would go out um, at a, you know, 205 pace was probably the average that people ran, and then I would be able to kick it in really hard. This race, however, went out much slower than that, much more conservative. So normally where I would start to peel away, so did everyone else. They started picking up the speed with me, and I could not kick away as reliably because I didn't have as large of a gap as I would normally have at that point because everyone was still fresh enough to stick with me. Um, and then for the actual kick, I just, I don't know, couldn't turn it on the same way I normally did, mental or otherwise. Um, but yeah, I ended up I ended up finishing fifth, and he needed to finish fourth to qualify for Regents in the solo. That sucked. That was kind of a bummer. Um, some of the guys at the regional meet were slower than me, you know. Um, and, you know, they came from weaker districts where they qualified top four, or they would have been, like, 19th in the heat that I ran. So that was kind of frustrating. Um, but at the end of this meet, uh, my last meet of my senior year of high school, um, I didn't want it to end, you know? So I, uh, I took the guys out, I took my team out, and we did a cooldown. Now, a cooldown run for a track meet, usually in the area of a mile to two miles. We were in an area we didn't know, though, so I just wanted to stick to the main streets. So we stick to the main street, and it ends, because this is such a little fucking podunk town, it just ends, and we're like fuck, what do we do? You know, want to, want to finish this run. I don't just want to turn back. It's not far enough. Um, so I was like, well, um, let's kind of, let's kind of explore a little bit. So we, we go back up and we go down another road and then another road. And I have a pretty good sense of direction. I might not know exactly what roads we need to take, but I can get us back to where I need to go. You know, um, we come up on this little, like, wooded area, and I was like, when's the last time we actually did a trail run? Let's fucking run through the woods. So we run through the woods a little ways, probably about two to three hundred meters. Um, and it's Florida woods, man. It's thick and swampy and a lot of uh, uh, palmettos and stuff like that. No clear trail through here, but we're, we're used to running through stuff like this because we're all the cross-country guys. Um... We bust out to the other side of this um, um, little thicket, right? And it's this clearing um, about another, say, 150 to 200 meters in front of us. There is this, um, like this lake. It's a small little pond. It's fenced in. Um, there's a chain link fence going all the way around it, kind of octagonal shaped. And then far off in the distance, uh, we'll say, ooh, it, it was probably a quarter mile off. There's a large building. Uh, it appears to be, you know, from the looks of it, like a hotel. There's like a circular drive up. There's a water fountain. It looks like there's a lobby, um, you know, like you would do for a hotel or like a, um, like an outpatient clinic or something like that. So... We're like, oh, might be like a little resort area, maybe? Who knows, you know? Um, but anyway, we knew one thing for sure. 
we wanted to go take a dip in that fucking fenced-in lake because we saw the fence and we're like, nobody keeps us out. So we go over and I remember running around the, the fence, not looking for a gate or anything, but just looking for a warning sign because like in Florida, sometimes you'll see warning signs like, hey, careful of gators in this fenced-in lake. We don't know how they got there, but here they are. Or like, uh, hey, um, flesh-eating bacteria, don't go in here. You know, stuff like that. Uh, there were no warning signs. There was no, like, barbed wire or anything to keep us out. So we climbed the fence and we jumped in the little stupid-ass lake. And we're, like, swimming around in there for a second. And when we get out, um, and we notice a uh, golf cart coming towards us from the, um, uh, like, building. So we were like, uh, that can't be good. Let's fucking, you know, fucking split. Uh, so we jumped back over the fence. Uh, some of us had our shoes on because we had just gotten out of the lake when we noticed the golf cart. Some of us didn't. And we just like grabbed our shoes and our clothes and stuff. We weren't naked, by the way. We were swimming in our shorts. And we booked it. I mean, we fucking booked it back towards the, uh, back towards the woods that we had come from. And I said, um, I said, split up and head back for the stadium. There were, there were five of us all together. I said, split up and head back for the stadium. And my guys apparently heard scatter uh, because they scattered to the four winds. So um, I run into the woods. I run about 20 to 30 meters deep and I crawl under a log. Um, I'm assuming everyone else did something probably kind of similar. Um, the security guards chased us, the golf cart anyway, we didn't know there were security guards yet, but the golf cart chased us to the edge of the woods, and then two armed security guards jumped out and, like, kind of stalked into the woods a little ways. They um, um, went a few feet into the woods, and then were basically like, ah, fuck this, you know. So I waited until they fucked off and got back in their cart, and drove off. And then I waited a few more minutes, just in case, um, under this log, and then ran uh, back out of the woods. Um, I did kind of like a little sweep. I ran um, like north and then back south to make sure none of my guys were still in the woods. Um, saw two of my guys standing at the edge of the woods. And I was like, oh, nice of you guys to wait here. That's smart. Uh, but that meant there were still uh, two people unaccounted for. So we were like, I was like, yo, where's Swazo? And um, they're like, we don't know. I was like, what do you mean you don't know where Swazo is? And they're like, we don't know. I was like, well, where'd you see him last? And they're like, oh, he went that way. I was like, why didn't you... <laughs> why didn't you tell him to fucking stick here, you know? And they're like, ah. Uh, he was running. I was like, why didn't you, why didn't you say, yo, yo, Swazo, like, come here, man. But, um, Swazo took off. So my first thought was like, there's a hundred percent chance because Swazo has the worst sense of direction of anyone on this team ever, period. There's a hundred percent chance this guy does not know where the stadium is, which means like, he's just going to be running straight down this road in perpetuity. So I, I check our resources, which were like a quarter bottle of water left for the three of us. 
and um, we start, I start hunting, you know, I was like, all right, man, let's fucking go. So we take off and we're running all the way through the city along the way, um, hiding behind a building that we passed along the way to look for Swazo, like 600 feet down the road. He was like <laughs> on the opposite side of a house from the woods. So like if someone walked to the opposite edge of the woods and looked out, you wouldn't see this kid, but he was basically hiding in plain sight behind a house. Uh, was one of the other guys and then i was like yo we're swazo and we went through all that shit again couldn't find him um but we had to uh run all over this town looking for swazo and we eventually found him like four fucking miles down the road at a gas station kind of pacing and i was like yo you like ready to fucking go home dude <laughs> he's like yeah um, so by now I'm kind of turned around myself because like just the chaos of it all and, um, like looking for the school and you know what? We never once thought to stop to ask someone for directions. Instead, it was just five guys just being dudes. And, um, so we eventually made it back to the statement and everything. I was crispy sunburned. Um, we were out of water for forever. And we get back to the stadium and um, coach was like, huh, where you guys been? And I was like, oh, we just went on a long cool down. <laughs> um, all in all, I think we ran probably about, uh, we went, our, our cool down was probably about 10 miles. We, we, we ran probably in the area of 10 to 12 miles on that little stupid-ass cool-down run. We did it mostly without water in the hot 98-degree Florida sun um, without sunscreen, which was stupid. Uh, God, we were stupid back then. And our coach was just like, he just accepted it at face value. He's like, yeah, sometimes they do be like that, which I can only assume means that he had a similar experience at some point in his running career. Uh, but yeah, that was, that was stupid. Uh, we later found out, by the way, we, uh, we were talking to the local team, the number one team, um, who happened to be hosting that meet, which was pretty cool. We were talking to some of their guys and, um, we were like, I, I kind of described the path that we took. I was like, yeah, we went down this road and then it was like the second light and then and blah, 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 whatever. And we came to these woods and they're like, oh, you didn't go through there, did you? And I was like, yeah, we did, actually. And he's like, oh, no, man, that's like that's like a mental hospital. And I was like, what? He was like, yeah, it's like a it's like a mental like rehab facility. And I was like, he's like, yeah, they're pretty serious over there. They don't like us running on their property. And I was like, oh, fuck. I was like, bad news, guys, uh, because like we both wear gold and blue uniforms. We both wear blue bottoms with gold tops. I was like... They for sure think we were <laughs> like we for sure set you guys' relations back with that uh, mental facility by like ten years. Uh, anyway, that's uh that's that's my time that I criminally trespassed on property. <laughs> um, God, we're almost at an hour already. That's wild. Um, let's see, Bjorn Ironside asks. Um, as a member of the New Orleans Second Line, you're well aware of our love for the dudes. That said, what is Ugarth's instrument of choice? Uh, gotta be the drums, man. Ugarth's a big-time war drum kind of guy. 
uh, a classic question, beef, pork, or chicken. I actually, uh, in my day-to-day life, I try not to eat pork. I don't know what it is. I just, it's my weird thing. Maybe I'm part Muslim or something. I just try not to eat pork. Um, beef, I prefer as a filler. Um, so like in a ragu or in a, um, um, taco or a burger or something like that. I can't stand, and this is very unique to me, obviously, can't stand a steak. Uh, just a big slab of beef just does nothing for me. Um, you know, as a cook, I can make a steak that people will rave about. I can fucking butter-based and, you know, I've watched all the Gordon Ramsay videos and all the fucking tricks. Uh, I just don't like a big hunk of meat. Um, so like beef tacos, yes. Burgers, yes. Uh, 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 fucking patty melt, fucking all the way, baby. Um, beef bologna. If you've never had all beef bologna, it is so much better than the like prepackaged stuff. Um, higher fat content is the trick. Uh, chicken, however, I prefer as a thing in and of itself. So if I was to make a dish like, um, like, uh, you know, like a chicken breast. Yeah. Like I would prefer a chicken breast to a steak personally. Um, I know I just said, I don't eat a lot. I don't eat pork. Um, I do occasionally eat bacon because it's like inescapable for most American foods. They just put it on fucking everything nowadays. Um, I like cheddar bacon chicken. Um, so you just do a chicken breast. Um, don't really need to marinate it or anything. You can if you want. You can brine it. Um, kind of hammer it out with a meat tenderizer. Get it nice and thin. Um, and then just coat it with... Um, do like a little like wash or something on it so it holds. Uh, but give it a nice little dusting of uh, breadcrumbs with cheddar cheese and bacon. That's so simple it's so quick to make but it's really good uh dr j i think he's the last question right yep okay so we'll wrap this up hopefully just a little over time because if i'm not getting paid i'm not talking um dr j asks uh is ugarth an axe only guy or does he like to work in a warhammer in there as well ironically enough i answered that question earlier um yeah, mostly an axe guy. Mostly an axe guy. But you know, in a pinch, anything will do. So be that war hammer or a sword or a spear. Um, perhaps a whip. Um, hmm. A, a, a long sword. Um, geez, what other types of medieval weapons were there? A pike? Um, a halibird? Yeah, so anything like that. Um, Budugarth is, by and large, a, an axe guy. Um, how else would you cleave, you know? Um, Dr. J uh, points out that I am poised to be a defensive leader for Tijuana this season. Is it a role you are familiar with? Great question, my dude! Yes! Um, I'm super excited to be a defensive leader, and I'm super excited to be getting other guys involved and pumped up for the season. Um you can see that just from my conversations in the uh, 
Tijuana um, Discord. Um, but yes, uh, my player in the SHL, Darnell Johnson. Um, he was a defensive leader for his junior team, the um, uh, Anchorage Armada. In his fourth season down in the J, which is kind of unusual, uh, it just happened that the team I was on made a few big defensive trades and everything, and I, I wasn't I was surplus to their needs, um, so I never got called up. Um, the season, the fourth season, they made a rule change so that four, third year players and above could make um, builds with higher TPE. So for the first and second years, you're stuck at 350 TPE. And then for third and fourth years, third, fourth, and fifth years, uh, you can go up to 425, which is only an increase of 75 TPE. But it was really nice for me being able to like put TPE into my player again. How fucking cool was that? And um, for the first time in three seasons. <laughs> Um, so we, um, I, I bumped my build up to 425 and I dominated that season. Um, I was a defensive defenseman and I had probably the lowest scoring of any defenseman. The base is 40 and my scoring was 40. Um, but just by having other stats so high, um, I was able to lead defensemen in the league in scoring I led defensemen in shots blocked, uh, and I was second overall. I think I led defensemen in hits, but I was second overall in... Uh, uh, sorry, back that up. I led defensemen in scoring. No question about that. I led the league in assists. Um, I led the league in shots blocked, so defensemen and forwards, and... I led defensemen in hits, and I was second or third in the league in hits, and forwards typically get more hits. Um, I was an all-around beast that season. Um, I led every major stat except goals for defensemen. Uh, there was one guy who had more goals than me, but he had way fewer assists. Um, also, I did it, interestingly enough, uh, without like the lion's share of time on ice. So I was, there were defensemen in the league who had higher time on ice than me with worse stats. So they played more and did worse or didn't do as well, I should say. Um, another interesting thing for me, when you look at my um, like time, I had more time on the penalty kill than any other defenseman. Um, maybe not any other defenseman, right? But among the major scorers and the leaders in any stat categories, I had more time on ice during the penalty kill. Now, the penalty kill in hockey, when your team commits a penalty, they take a guy from your team off of the ice. So you play four on five. So the other team has five players, you have four. It's it's really hard to get anything done offensively. Um, and it's it's hard to get hits because you're, you're kind of stuck in your lane and you just have to kind of... Uh, survive for those few two minutes um, so when I'm averaging three and a half minutes on the penalty kill per game that means that you know 
of my 23 minutes time on ice, only 20 minutes are at even strength, uh, five on five, where most of, most stats are generated. Other guys had a more generous time, so they might have only had a minute and a half on the penalty kill, and they might have only played, you know, 22 minutes, but that minute and a half, they get 20 and a half minutes. Uh, even strength and you know small differences like that that's a whole extra shift they get to play at even strength um so anyway uh that season i was snubbed i didn't even get nominated for the best defenseman award and when i talked to uh the awards voters about it you know what they said to me they said yeah you might have led the league in every major statistical category we track but your possession metrics sucked. And I was like, possession is a team metric. One player, like you have relative Corsi, which is a player's impact on the Corsi. Um, but like one player, it's it's possession is a five on five metric. And I'm playing, you know, like I'm playing four on five, I'm playing three on five. Like I'm playing man down hockey. Like, of course my possession numbers are going to be shit. I'm out there on the ice on the penalty kill more than anyone else. Like, my, by definition, my possession metrics are going to be bad. Even if you look at even strength, yeah, they're probably going to be a little bit worse because I was, like, I, I was the fucking team. I didn't have a team around me like some of these defensemen did. So I, I got kind of pissed. I, I was like, how are you going to fucking do me like that, you know? How are you going to fucking do me like that? I led the league in assists as a defensive defenseman. I fucking... <sighs> yep. No one's ever been able to tell me why I didn't get even a nomination that season. Other than, oh, your, your advanced metrics sucked. This guy had, like, a little bit higher point share than you did. Yeah, well, this guy, this guy's plus minus was a little bit higher than yours because he was only on the ice for 18 minutes a game. This guy, that yeah, fucking sucked. But yeah, I am familiar with being a defensive leader. <laughs> uh, which rookie QB are you most looking forward to welcoming to the league? Yikes, man. I don't know any rookie QBs offhand. Uh, we'll go with Slothy. I think he's a rookie, right? Slothy seems like a cool dude. Welcome to the league, Sloth. Or my buddy Jim Waters. Welcome to the league, Jim Waters. Um, or pick any rookie quarterback from another team, and I will welcome them to the league in a, a much more visceral way. Um, that said, that's going to wrap up the Dissecting with Ugarth podcast. Actually, you know what? No. I lied. Let me go through the preseason real quick. Uh, so in a 22-16 to 16 loss preseason week one against the Minnesota Grey Ducks, Ugarth recorded 12 tackles, one sack. Not bad. Uh, Wombat also had 12 tackles, one sack, but he did better than me. He had one pass defended. Um, Fisher, um, he was the other linebacker. He had three tackles. Not bad. I mean, not bad for a newer guy with less TPE. In a 20-10 to 10 win against the London Royals preseason week two, Ugarth recorded 12 sacks, 
I'm sorry, no, 12 tackles, two tackles for loss, one sack, one forced fumble, one fumble recovery. Now that is a hell of a game. Uh, Fisher was second in tackles with five. Uh, Ryan, H. Ryan, I don't know who that is offhand, had two forced fumbles and one fumble recovery. And Wombat apparently recovered that other mystery fumble. That was a great game for us. Real strong defensive showing. Uh, let's see. This was a 9-15 to 15 loss against the Bird Dogs. Um, ooh, Garth actually wasn't the tackle leader this game. It's kind of interesting. Uh, six tackles, one sack, and one pass defended. Not, not bad. Kind of an all-around game. Uh, Andrew Witten, I think it is. A. Witten had 10 tackles, one pass defended. Pretty good. Um, Wombat, again, uh, seven tackles, one sack. Oh. Um, where was Fisher in this? Not bad, you know, actually two tackles, one sack. For a new guy, I think that's pretty good. And then finally, a 21 to 13 win against the Portland Pythons. Uh, Ugarth recorded eight tackles, two tackles for losses. Pretty dry stat line all around. Um, Ryan had one forced fumble, and it looks like a guy named M. Elam recovered. Uh, Fisher had our only sack that game. No, I'm sorry, Fisher and Rowan. Looks like they split a sack. That's really cool. Uh, so yeah, overall, I think defensively, um, you know, this is going to be a great team going forward. Uh, I'm super excited. Um, so that will conclude the Dissecting with Ugarth podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, feel free to ask more questions for next time.